This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 102 entitled, Mark's Son of Man Revealed in the Olivet Discourse. As always, the Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Mark's Gospel is full of references to Jesus describing himself as the Son of Man. Today's passage is in the midst of what scholars call the Olivet Discourse. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus foretells a looming tribulation that will bring about hard times and suffering for the people of God. At the end of this dire experience, the Son of Man will return to bring deliverance. But a coming time of suffering for the disciples of Jesus is not the only thing Mark has to say on the subject. As Mark spends the next two chapters offering detail after detail of Jesus' betrayal, suffering, and death on a cross. And in doing so, Mark uses much of the same language that was used in the Olivet Discourse. Is it a mere coincidence that the tribulation that is to face the people of God is described with terminology that Mark also uses to depict the passion of Jesus Christ? Or is there something bigger going on? And if so, what does this mean for how Mark understands the meaning of the Son of Man? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is entitled, The Son of Man Depicted in the Olivet Discourse. I'm going to read a section from Mark chapter 13, starting in verse 24. Jesus says, But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send forth the angels and will gather together his elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. It's Mark chapter 13, verses 24 through 27. Towards the end of the apocalyptic scenario, Mark describes the return of the Son of Man from heaven. He returns to the earth upon clouds, a clear allusion to the Son of Man passage in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. It is also said the Son of Man will return with power and glory. And we noted in our previous episode that the glory of the Son of Man was already mentioned by Mark in Mark chapter 8, verse 38, as being God's own glory that he has shared with the Son of Man. The reception of glory is also mentioned in Daniel 7, 
specifically in verse 14. We also note that the return of the Son of Man is to gather together the elect. In other words, the designated human agent of God, the Son of Man, returns to gather other human beings. This is yet another reference to Daniel chapter 7, where the one like a son of man is depicted as a representative of the suffering, quote, people of the holy ones of the Most High, end quote. That's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. So between the direct quotation of Daniel 7, 13, the reference to glory, and the stated intention to gather up human beings, we have three points of connection between the depiction of the Son of Man in Mark 13 with Daniel chapter 7. It seems pretty clear that Mark wants his readers to be thinking along the lines of Daniel chapter 7 and its portrayal of the Son of Man within Mark chapter 13. This is highly significant because, as we will soon see, the apocalyptic depiction of the period of tribulation for the elect human beings within Mark 13 has many key descriptions that match events that Jesus himself experienced in Mark chapters 14 through 15. The chapters depicting the rejection, suffering, and death of the Son of Man. In other words, Mark seems to deliberately organize his gospel narrative to portray Jesus experiencing the very same tribulation events that he predicts the elect will experience. Since Mark regards the rejection, suffering, and death as happening to the Son of Man, this appears to be a further indication that the Son of Man is a title for the human representative of the human people of God who are to suffer in Mark chapter 13, similar to the suffering ones in Daniel chapter 7. Let's take time to look at the connections Mark makes in his narrative between the people of God in Mark chapter 13 and the suffering Son of Man and Mark chapters 14 through 15. Our second point today is looking at the parallels between the suffering people of God and the suffering Son of Man. At least nine parallels can be observed between the people of God in Mark 13 and the suffering of the Son of Man in Mark chapters 14 through 15. I'm going to number them A through I, as opposed to 1 through 9, so as to not confuse the numbering of these parallels with my normal numbering of sections in the organization of my podcast. Hopefully there's going to be no confusion. Okay, so parallel A, our first parallel. The disciples ask about the temple building, and they are told that not one stone will be left upon another, which will not be torn down. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. During the trial of the Son of Man, the accusation was made that Jesus threatened to destroy the temple. Mark 14, verse 58. We might even consider 
that at the death of the Son of Man, the temple veil was torn in two, in 15 verse 38. The next connection, connection B, is that the disciples are repeatedly commanded to watch and keep watch. This shows up quite a bit. Mark chapter 13, verse 5, verse 9, verse 23, verse 33, verse 35, and verse 37. While the Son of Man commanded the disciples to keep watch during the hour of his betrayal and arrest. Mark 14, verse 34, and verses 37 through 38. Parallel C is that the elect will be delivered over to political and religious authorities. Mark 13, verses 9 through 13. And we find that the Son of Man is delivered over to political and religious authorities. In Mark 14, 10 through 11, verse 18, verse 21, 41 through 42, chapter 15, verse 1, and then verses 10 through 15. Connection D, parallel D. The disciples will be betrayed by their family unto death. That's Mark 13, verses 12 through 13. And the Son of Man is betrayed unto death by a kiss from Judas, whom Jesus formerly called a brother, a member of his new family. In Mark chapter 14, verses 43 through 44. Parallel E, our fifth parallel. The tribulation of the disciples is described as such as has not occurred since the beginning of creation until now, which, without divine intervention, no life will be saved. That's in Mark 13, verses 19 through 20. And then we see that the Son of Man clearly experiences the most heightened sense of tribulation that he has ever faced, and, without divine intervention, he died. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, and then, of course, we could see 15, verse 37, also talks about this. Parallel F. In the days of the tribulation of the elect, the sun will be darkened. Mark chapter 13, verse 24. And on the day of the Son of Man's crucifixion, darkness came over the entire land. Mark 15, verse 33. Parallel G. The disciples will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Mark 13, verse 26. And at the trial of the Son of Man, Jesus tells the council that they will see the coming of the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of glory. Mark 14, verse 62. Parallel H. The disciples are commanded to be on the alert at all times, specifically mentioning the times of the evening, middle of the night, when the rooster crows, and the morning. Mark 13, verse 35. All four of these time designations, with some minor variations, are used to describe the period of the Son of Man's betrayal suffering, and death. And you can find those four time designations in Mark 14, 23, verse 30, verse 72, and chapter 15, verse 1. Parallel I, our final parallel. 
the disciples are to be on the alert so that the master does not come and find them sleeping. Mark 13, verse 35. And then we see the Son of Man in Gethsemane stays awake, but finds the disciples sleeping. Mark 14, verses 37 through 38. So we have nine parallels between the apocalyptic tribulation that is to face the disciples and the Son of Man's tribulation, that is, the Son of Man's betrayal, suffering, and death. If there were only one or two parallels, it could be dismissed as a coincidence and the argument would not be very persuasive. But all of the evidence, taken as a whole, strongly suggests that Mark deliberately penned his gospel narrative in order to portray the Son of Man suffering the same tribulation experiences that were to face the disciples. We need to ask, why would Mark do such a thing? What is Mark's theological strategy in offering parallel experiences between the disciples and the Son of Man? The most obvious answer is something Mark has already led his readers to believe, which is that the Son of Man is the human representative of the people of God. The people of God, by the way, who are also obviously human. This is the imagery we get from, guess what, Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man represents the suffering people of the Holy Ones of the Most High. In Mark, the Son of Man continues to represent the people of the Most High. This Christological portrayal of the Son of Man only makes sense scripturally and narratively if the Son of Man is an actual human being. The logic is completely destroyed if the Son of Man is really the incarnation of a heavenly angel or if he is Yahweh himself. So, in conclusion, we have observed that Mark chapter 13 describes an apocalyptic scenario of tribulation for the elect people of God. At the end of this dire period, Jesus will return in power and glory to rescue the elect. Mark portrays the return of Jesus in terms of the Son of Man. By using this title for Jesus at this point, Mark establishes a Christological argument within the narrative of chapters 13 through 15. First, we noted that the description offered by Mark of Jesus' return in chapter 13 makes three deliberate connections to Daniel chapter 7. By citing Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13 directly, referencing glory, and drawing attention to the elect suffering ones gathered by Jesus, Mark stresses that the returning Son of Man is to be understood in light of Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is a representative figure for the elect human beings, who, by the way, suffer in the vision of Daniel 7. Second, we saw that Mark consciously organized the passion 
of the Son of Man, that is, the rejection, suffering, and death, with deliberate parallels to the suffering that the elect were to experience. On nine different points of connection, the suffering people of God are represented by the suffering of their representative, the Son of Man. In this way, Mark weaves his Christology in his narrative, effectively depicting Jesus as the human one who goes through the same tribulation that those whom he represents are to experience. This further strengthens the connection between the human beings who suffer and the human agent, the Son of Man who suffers. Mark's Gospel, time and time again, depicts the Son of Man in terms best described as high human Christology, rather than a Trinitarian or angelic Christology. Join us next week on the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as we continue to explore what Son of Man means in light of Jesus' insistence that the Son of Man's death is spoken of in the Old Testament. Do you know where the Son of Man's death is prophesied in the Old Testament? And I do specifically mean the Son of Man. I can give you a hint. It is not in Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, or Hosea chapter 6. I hope you can join us again next week on the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please consider supporting the podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can check out this episode's description for a PayPal link to donate. I appreciate everybody so much for joining us. Again, my name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.